재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 And we're back. We're continuing our discussion on male victims of sexual violence. Uh, a bit of a difficult situation, indeed, a very difficult situation for uh, a lot of these victims because of pre-existing stereotypes and uh, uh, existing social attitudes in various societies regarding gender roles. So we're going to be discussing this problem once again. Uh, we'll be joined by a pair of experts from abroad in just a few moments. Here in the studio from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, we have Professor Huang Jong-uk. Uh, Professor Huang, and again, I think we can argue that this is definitely a problem, a big problem for female victims of sexual assault and harassment is, do you believe, though, generally there is a lack of uh, governmental as well as maybe even civic support structures for male victims? I think certainly we can use more uh, increased general awareness and more education among the police force and other uh, social services branches that are supposed to help uh, the the victims of sexual assault in general. Uh, I think Korean government is doing something just last week. The Ministry of Gender Equality and uh, and Family uh, actually uh, distributed guidebook to all its support centers about how to assist male victims, specifically male victims of sexual assault. So I think the awareness is there, and I think there's an effort. Made, but given the fact that you know we already have about thousand cases of reported male victims of sexual assault, I suppose you know, support services could be strengthened to to assist those victims. Right. We're actually going to get some overseas uh, perspective on this as well. Uh, joining us on the line from the UK, we have Claire Cohen, senior lecturer of criminal criminology at Nottingham. Trent University and Professor Phil Rumney, uh, criminal justice professor at UWE Bristol. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Henry. Ms. Cohen, if I may begin with you, uh, do you believe that the primal fear of, I mentioned this earlier, emasculation, uh, I guess in a more metaphorical sense, for male victims who do come public with this uh, as far as being victims of sexual abuse or harassment, that is a key reason, a, a major reason why many of them decide not to report their crimes? Um, I think it's, it's certainly of some relevance, but before I answer that question specifically, Henry, let me just say that men should not perceive their experience in this way, not at all. Rape is violence. Violence is a human capacity. It's not a gendered capacity. We are actually all capable of rape, male or female, mm. especially if we understand that as sex without consent. Likewise, violence needs targets, so this too is a human capacity, not a gendered one. We can all of us experience sex without consent. Certainly none of us are invulnerable, and in itself then, gender provides no protection whatsoever from either of those positions. Um, in answer directly to that part of your question, though, Henry, there's, yes, plenty of evidence to support that male victims perceive rape as emasculating. Interestingly, so do their rapists, both men and women, mm. but we need to be careful. I don't think we should validate that at all. For me, the question instead becomes, why does society view this as emasculating? Let's shift the focus. This way of seeing it only makes sense because we wrongly regard rape itself as involving a gendered binary of men as offenders and women as victims. And thanks to this construct, we struggle to make sense of this crime without mailing assailants in some way and feminizing victims in some way. In itself, this is something that we need to break free of because it's fundamentally wrong. As regards victims, or rather targets, which is a word that victims might prefer to use because it's free of those gendered notions of vulnerability and their failure to report, this is incredibly pernicious. On the face of it, asking why men do not report this crime seems wholly reasonable, but actually, 
asking this question functions as a form of victim blaming. Mm. Asking this question, it means that we stop asking what can we do as a society, which is the right question, and instead we ask what can men do to help themselves, but this is the wrong question. It responsabilizes men. This leaves us blind to that mm. gender disparity and gatekeeping in the criminal justice system, something that's an unfortunate reality in most, if not all, countries. So put simply, unlike their female counterparts, Male victims of rape in many countries cannot access the infrastructure that facilitates reporting behaviours. So things like rape crisis or other types of counselling and support services, those things we know are vital in encouraging and enabling people to report to the police. Provision for men then is impoverished. When men do succeed in making formal complaints to the police, and I really do mean succeed because it is a struggle, an uphill struggle, in many cases they do not receive a good standard of service. Certainly they do not receive a standard equivalent to female complainants. A male victim then reporting rape may find their crime is not taken seriously and is recorded under a lesser charge, most frequently one that has no sexual component, or indeed it may be dismissed out of hand and not recorded at all. Without a sea change in attitude amongst the various professionals involved in this process from government, frontline staff, etc., male victims of rape are effectively disenfranchised. And so blaming them for the situa situation, this, this failure to report, is convenient, but it's wrong. Yeah, very strong indeed. Professor Romney, would you agree as well that there is largely a societal failure here, uh, various facets of society, including the media, as far as not giving enough attention to um, the plight of male victims of sexual abuse? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the traditional print media or TV media has largely ignored uh, the phenomenon of male sexual victimization. There's been more attention perhaps given to children, including boys, but mm -hmm. much less attention given uh, to adult males. And one of the ways in which that manifests itself is, is no attention, but also what we, what we see is very little attention given to the stories of male victims and survivors men telling their stories about victimization in the hope that that will help other people to come forward. So it's a bit of a vicious circle because it doesn't get a lot of attention. There are men out there, and I'm sure there are men listening to this program now, who either as adults or as children have been sexually abused or exploited mm. or raped as adults, who probably are hearing, hearing this discussion pass for the first time. Some of them feel isolated um, and feel alone, and because of that, they won't come forward. So it's a vicious cycle. If there's little attention given, it's less likely that men are going to come forward. And because men don't come forward, because they don't see any support, visible support or signposting available, then, then of course, there's, within the criminal justice system, uh, within the medical profession and elsewhere, people see that as a reason to dismiss the problem, saying basically it's a very, very small-scale problem, it's not something we need to address. But actually, by addressing it, by raising the issues within the media, it helps males to see that what's happened to them is not something that only they have suffered. It actually helps them to come forward and report. Right. Now, Professor Huang, not just the media, but uh, academia, is there somewhat of a gender bias here when it comes to the study of, uh, of rape and sexual harassment? Uh, I guess for the layperson, it does feel like a, a lot of the emphasis or focus is on the female perspective of this. Well, I think just being an academia, I think it's no uh, prevent uh, preventative measure against having a gender bias. I think members of academia is also equally vulnerable to the same kind of gender bias that is prevalent in the society as well as the media. So I think 
you know, given the fact that it is a you know, prominent uh, part of the you know, criminal justice system, that you know, members of academia should get, give give it a, you know, due uh, attention and deference. Ms. Cohen, again, at the risk of, I suppose, not wanting to necessarily uh, blame the victim here, but uh, are there too many expectations being placed on men uh, by society, and we can talk about Korean society or UK society, uh, where they should try to avoid roles to be perceived to be feminine, or are we more enlightened now? But this can also include, of course, uh, that of a, uh, a male sexual abuse victim. Sure. Well, first of all, I need to apologize. I couldn't actually hear your previous speaker, so I'm sorry if any of this is, is repetitive. Um, really, what I, I want to say is that I think the misperception of victim as feminine or indeed in a feminized position is hugely problematic, and that is universal. Um, as I said before, this is why I prefer the word target, because it has none of those gendered connotations. The problem with victim is that it's properly understood to be vulnerable, especially in comparison with assailant, which we regard as being a powerful position, but we've got to move away from this. Hmm. While some individuals may have been vulnerable prior to the attack, vulnerability itself has very little to do with rape per se. This is um, one of the most frequent questions I get asked. How can, how can a man be raped? How is it possible to rape right. a man? And I think that reflects a tragic misunderstanding of the dynamic involved and horrendously tends to lead to people looking at male rape victims as if they're different to other men. So we move from asking how is it possible to how was it possible to rape him? What did he do? Yeah, why him? Conveniently, then, we, we begin to ask ourselves, how is he to blame? What did he do wrong? But this is utterly fallacious. Men get raped for the same multitude of reasons that women do. They can get raped, likewise, for the same multitude of reasons. So, for example, one of the most common reactions that we recognize a victim may have in re reaction to this form of intimate assault, be they female or male, be they offender, female or male, is actually to freeze. And it's wrong to regard this as a victim becoming passive. It's wrong to interpret this as a victim consenting. It certainly enables completion of the criminal act, yes, for sure, but it's wrong, absolutely wrong, to regard this as being the victim's fault. We have to accept that bodies do what bodies do, and in that moment of attack, the individual has no control at all over that. The need for survival takes over, instinctively, actually. And we know that responding to aggression with aggression serves frequently to exacerbate things. So, in that moment, perfectly natural response is no response at all. And for the victim of rape, freezing is surviving. The value judgment that we make as a society, when we respond to male rape victims to ask, how did they become a victim? Why did they not fight back? Is rooted in a gross misunderstanding of the reality for all rape victims. For victims, the assault feels like a life-threatening situation, and let's remember, in many cases, it actually is. We must remember that sometimes both male and female victims are indeed murdered in the course of their assault. Let's not trivialize this. Mm. Rape victims deserve our respect, most of all, and they deserve to respect themselves. And I would encourage male rape victims to look at themselves as survivors for this very reason. It's a far more powerful way of expressing their experience, and the very last thing a survivor is in any way is weak from it. So perhaps let's move away from, from that notion of, of a victim, full stop, that helps us to move beyond that barrier. Yeah, and it leads us to the question for Professor Romney here. If we accept the premise that we really shouldn't have any biases in terms of male or female, uh, a bit of a philosophical question perhaps, but why is society so slow to recognize this gender-neutral concept of sexual assault and this idea that both men and women can be victimized uh, with this or any other crime uh, do you feel that it is just simply a generational shift that has to take place or is there something we can do well i think in reality uh, the rape of males has been recognized actually for for many centuries 
Um, the first, in terms of legally, the first law that I'm aware of that recognised that men could be victims of, of rape by either adult males or, or boys was actually in China, late imperial China in 1640, was to my the first law that recognised this. Um, and indeed, if you look throughout history, there is evidence of men um, being raped after battle, for example, when they were on the losing side, they would be humiliated and subjugated uh, through rape. But in terms of its more modern kind of contemporary recognition, I think there is a great deal of ignorance out there. There are a lot of myths around issues of sexuality, for example, that, that uh, the rape of males is, is an exclusively a gay crime. And if you're a victim, whether well, you're asking for it because you're gay, that's linked to notions of homophobia as well. But the reality is, as Claire was pointing out earlier, that any male potentially can be a victim of rape. And I know from my own work with, with young uh, victims of rape and sexual exploitation a number of years ago, that we had young, young men coming forward from all sorts of uh, backgrounds. It's not an exclusively gay crime. It's mm. not an exclusively any type of crime, both male and female, of whatever age can be victims, and I think it's not just about generational, it's about educating. It's about educating society, it's about breaking down some of the myths around uh, male sexual victimization, and also reaching out to people and explaining actually why it's important to recognize all victims of rape. Not to say that it, that it happens 50-50, because it doesn't. Um, you know, most victims of rape are female, and most rapists are male. Having said that, uh, we should be looking to see how we can address both legally, socially, uh, from the kind of medical point of view, the public health perspective, how we can address this problem across a range of areas. So both professionals working in the area, but much more broadly across society, we recognize that these things can happen. And when we, we see people or we treat people who, who this has happened to, but we do so in an appropriate way, we mm. believe what they say, that we treat them with sensitivity and empathy, or we're able to um, pass them on to services who can help them. Professor Huang, that being said, do you believe it's essential or maybe even possible to encourage as many male victims as possible to come forward before we talked about some of these secondary problems ensue, like mental issues, if that could develop if you just simply don't come forward? Well, I think before even we, we even talk about encouraging male victims, I suppose probably even the gating question is sort of helping out or uh, protecting male victims for receiving secondary trauma. I mean, according to the Minister of Gender Equality a guidebook that I mentioned earlier that was distributed in Korea last week, many, many male victims report sort of re uh, report receiving the secondary trauma from people around them for uh, being accused of not being manly enough, being questioned about their uh, male sexuality and so forth. So I think that, that kind of response from around, you know, this could be coming from perfectly well-meaning friends and family, in fact, but, you know, male, many male victims in Korea report feeling traumatized by that kind of response. So I think rather, even going... Uh, even thinking of before thinking about encouraging male victims to report, I think we do, we do yeah. need to really focus on creating a support structure where, where such, such secondary trauma does not take place. Now... Professor Cohen, a lot of people have mentioned how Korea is this very rigidly hierarchical society, Confucius-based, and the many facets of Korean society are uh, very uh, indeed top-down, which could affect some of these situations for male victims. But that doesn't mean that those kind of structures don't exist in other countries like the U.K. Uh, how much more vulnerable 
uh, to abuse are men uh, who are groomed in these so-called hierarchical institutions uh, like a sort of military type of structure? Sure, thanks. Thanks, Harry. If you don't mind, I'd just like to respond to Phil. I didn't catch all of his points, but I did hear, I'm fairly certain, uh, that Phil said that that men are, are late, are rate uh, in far fewer numbers than women, and that actually we have a situation where mostly women are the victims, men are the assailants. But I really think we need to move away from that. We can't actually say that with any degree of certainty whatsoever. We simply cannot rely on our statistics. We cannot even rely on our self-report data. It's wholly unstable for us to, to even regard that as, as giving a, a modicum of an indication of the truth out there. The plain fact is we don't know. We just don't know. So I think we should move away from that, especially because looking at it, therefore, as being unusual for men to be victims is, is really quite dangerous, and it's a big part of the problem in terms of why we fail to take it seriously. But um, having said that, moving on to your question, um, in regards to um, those types of, of environments, both men and women, both, both girls and boys, are vulnerable to this type of exploitation and abuse, and abuse in those contexts. Absolutely. And what's interesting to me is that the great bulk of research into male rape has been situated precisely in those contexts, especially the military. Um, so, so for me, instead of pursuing that line of inquiry, I stopped and I questioned the rationale because it was a concern. It was a concern to me that we're all far more comfortable with those contexts for male sexual victimization. And I wondered, is this because we regard such closed institutions with their explicit power differentials and frequently single-sex composition as somehow overwriting gender or rather our gendered expectations? So, in effect, um, that those contexts um, enabled male rape to become far easier for us to accept because of the clarity in roles regarding the ascribed positions of powerful and powerless. And if so, I think that's actually damning. It's damning of all of us. It also concerns me that we tend to simplistically fall back on an assumption that the norm for rape is male on female. That's, that's a problem. And in single-sex institutions, um, that male on male is logical because somehow the absence of women or that where a woman is in a position of authority has rape to male, it's because it's, it's achievable because of that authority. This is really dangerous. We're drawing on horribly warped notions of, of male victims as female proxies and female assailants, actually, as male proxies. And, and mm. it's fascinating. It's simplistic. It's wrong. And it's dangerous. And we must stop. We've got to reject this notion that men are actually unusual in some way as victims and unusual as perpetrators. It's not helpful. Until we can do that, we'll never succeed in achieving access to justice, either for victims of female assailants or for male victims of any assailant, full stop. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. But Professor Romney, uh, any, any final thoughts uh, from what you've heard? Um, well, all I would say is that we, we know that male victims make up um, a significant minority of victims of rape and sexual assault. If they are a minority, that doesn't make them unimportant. In fact, in many respects, it, it, it makes them extremely important precisely because they've been neglected. And often that neglect has resulted from the fact that they, that they do make up a smaller number of victims. We know that from a vast wealth of empirical data. And if anyone wishes to doubt that, if Claire wishes to doubt that, then she needs to engage with the huge amount of empirical data that exists okay, pointing okay. to that. That doesn't mean that we should ignore male victims. What it means is we need to give them appropriate and proper attention in the same way that we give female victims. We are going to have to leave it there. I want to thank both of our guests from the U.K., Claire Cohen and Phil Rumney, for joining us. Uh, thank you both. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Henry. Thank you very much.
All right, uh, Professor Huang, a um, lot of interesting discussion there. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, um, I mean, you know, I, I suppose for those of you who thought that males could not be uh, the victims of sexual assault, I mean, even in the statistics in Korea, that clearly is not true. It is a problem, and I think we should all help our victims regardless whether they're female victims or male victims. It is it is a violation of, of a person's rights, and, you know, we should give all the support that we can give. Very well said. As always, uh, Professor Huang, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Merry Christmas, and talk to you again soon. Thank you very much.